today's episode, we're discussing how we set aside time to spend with our kids despite our hectic schedules. Hey everyone, welcome to the Papa Fatigue Podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. So a few weeks ago, I stumbled across an article entitled The Invisible Scars Adult Children of Workaholics Bring to Their Careers. And today we're going to be discussing that article as well as some of the things that we do to make time to spend with our kids. But first, here's my deal. I have a seven-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. I'm Jim. I got a seven-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl. So the article talked about some research that found that adult children of workaholics, which they call ACOWs, had higher levels of depression and anxiety and believed that external forces controlled their lives versus adults from non-workaholic homes. They also found that these uh, ACOWs relied on others for decision-making and lacked the confidence which led to greater anxiety and depression versus the population at large. And these results matched similar studies on adult children of alcoholics, which actually prompted this research group to then uh, start another study, which found in the second study that ACOWs had higher levels of depression and higher rates of parentification, which is when um, a child carries the feels like they're an adult, right? That takes on those adult responsibilities. Uh, and they had higher levels of these parentification and depression levels than a control group of adult children from alcoholic homes, which I thought was was very interesting. Yeah, this question about the, the alcoholic or the workaholic, I think in my, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around this because workaholism, in my opinion, is as a compulsive component, an obsessive compulsive component, in the same way that addiction or, mm-hmm. or alcoholism does, and that it's yeah. not somebody who drinks a lot is not necessarily somebody who is an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and likewise, somebody who works a lot is not necessarily a workaholic. And so, the the interesting part in the article for me was seeing the parallels between workaholism and alcoholism, and that indicates to me that there's a personality disorder or an an addiction disorder that ends up being expressed through obsessive work rather than some other personality disorder that maybe we're more familiar with. Mm-hmm. Almost like a sort of like an escapism or a coping mechanism. A coping mechanism, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's a, an interesting point because the article doesn't really define what a workaholic is. It's really more about the downstream implications for the children. And they illustrate this sort of what a workaholic situation looks like at the very beginning of the article where they were talking about this child who's who's now an adult, right? He's now the adult of a child of a workaholic. But he remembers growing up that his dad would come home late and then, you know, he would want to play with his dad and the dad would just be like, I'm too tired to play with you. And then eventually grudgingly say, okay, you know, I'll play with you. But I think, you know, just because you come home tired from work or you work a long day to me, I'm not clear that that necessarily has sort of the implications that they talk about in terms of the children of workaholics, the adult children of workaholics, right? But a lot of this article focuses, again, on that sort of the downstream and and sort of what these children feel and, and how they've been, um, I guess, how they've grown as adults. And it, it, it's unclear to me to say, okay, you know, was my parent a workaholic as it, you know, as defined by, you know, this article, which again, it, it's mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. definition isn't quite there. So it really focuses on the impact on this child and, and the sense of like, I guess one of the interesting things that they talk about in the article was that part of the challenge for these children is that they 
outwardly, you know, the family looks great, right? It's the, the, they're hardworking and, you know, maybe they have all the new toys and the nice car, right? Because the parents are, they're working hard. And so the child sort of internalizes like something's wrong here. I'm not getting what I need, but I look around and there's nothing quote wrong mm-hmm. with my mm-hmm. family, it's right? Everything's, right. Like everybody, it's not abusive. It's not, you know, but there's still something missing. And, and so they internalize that and they go, okay, something's, something must be wrong with me because, you know, again, my, mm-hmm. my dad's not abusive. He doesn't hit me. My mom doesn't yell at me. So, but why do I feel like there's this hole in my life? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so that was kind of the interesting, I thought one of the really interesting downstream implications of this, but yeah, I think it's an interesting point or a, a very valid point that it's hard to understand what defines the workaholic as it relates to their definition. It's just, it's not defined in the article, which uh, I think is a very valid point. Yeah, and the again, the parallels with the alcoholism or the an alcoholic family, alcoholic parents, I think is very telling in that I'm not a doctor, I don't, I'm not an addiction specialist, but in my opinion, addiction can be expressed in all sorts of different ways. You know, somebody who's obsessive compulsive or an alcoholic or addiction or eating disorders, mm-hmm. uh, also exercise, somebody could be obsessive about exercise. And so in my opinion, there's a certain personality disorder or an addictive personality disorder that then gets expressed in different ways. And you're right in that workaholism is one of the more socially acceptable ones. It's certainly in, in the United States. So somebody who is a quote unquote workaholic may just be like a go-getter, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who's really getting the job done. But I think to your point, the the family behind closed doors, that probably has, you describe those downstream effects where the children, it's not just about dad or mom working all the time. It's about how that personality, personality disorder ends up being expressed within the family. That's that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. And again, is there something different between working a lot and being a workaholic, just like there is somebody who drinks a lot and may not be an alcoholic? Yeah. And, and you know, now that you're talking about it, I wonder if maybe the distinction is also that while we may work a lot, if given the choice, it sort of in a vacuum, we're always going to put family over work. Mm-hmm. And maybe the workaholic is the person who given that choice would pick work over family. You know, I wonder if that's maybe one of the distinctions as, mm-hmm. as maybe we just sort of think about it ourselves. But I, again, I don't even think that's a choice. I mean, that may, it may yeah. look like a choice, but it may be driven by some sort of obsessive behavior or some yeah. sort of compulsive behavior. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair point too. I mean, so, okay, so here's a question we talk about this, right? You know, can you talk a little bit about your childhood? You know, did your parents both work? Like, what was your situation? And like, do you find, so in the article, there's sort of, a list of things that you know people would people who are i guess adult children of workaholics some i don't know if symptoms is the right word but but some behavioral things that, that show up like do you find yourself in any of that profile and looking back on this article you know where do you see yourself fitting in if at all in this whole mm-hmm. story it's hard to self-diagnose you know i'm not entirely sure i identify with any of the you know i think doesn't everyone have anxiety right mm-hmm. <laughs> we all just <laughs> anxious people you know, antidepressant prescriptions are through the roof. So I'm not entirely sure I could I could equate any of that kind of stuff of my life mm-hmm. with um, with uh, with my upbringing. But what I can say, you know, again, my whether or not they were workaholics, and and again, I'm not an addiction guy, and I wouldn't be able to d- diagnose it just from this article. But both my parents did work a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom had a part time job, and she was also a full time grad student for most of the time that, and maybe not a part time grad student for most of the time that I was a kid. And my dad traveled a lot for work, and then he also had his own business when he wasn't traveling. And so he was, you know, six-day work weeks were were pretty common. Mm -hmm. A lot of our vacations were short, 
you know, three-day, four-day getaways. The idea of taking two weeks off is just not, that's, and even to this day, that's still something that's really foreign to me. Uh, and I think that's sort of the entrepreneurial, self-employed mm-hmm. attitude, you know. And mm-hmm. as you know, and, and as I've explained before, it's, you're just kind of on all the time, right? right? When you work for yourself, it's, you don't really have the nine-to-five, and, and mm-hmm. there's always something to do. You know, right. I mean, we could we could finish our conversation tonight and I could sit down and work for another two or three hours. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just it's just kind of how it is. It's a different attitude. So I saw that in my family and there were, you know, but despite that, both of my parents were as involved in, as I would expect them to be you know, showing up at school for the the bake sales or the, you know, the the events that um, the recitals and plays and things like that. My dad was, uh, he coached my basketball team several years in a row. Uh, and so despite being traveling and, and have working long hours, still finding ways to show up for the family. Yeah, my situation, pretty similar to yours. My dad, actually, I remember when I was younger, he had, I think it was a 60 to 90 minute one-way commute. And this was back in the day when I remember school would start at 8.15 and I would get dropped off at seven. And this was the, the days before morning care. So it's me and the security guard. And I know that there were sometimes I'd beat the security guard to school. So it's just, it's just you know, whatever six-year-old me hanging out in front of the school waiting for it to open. Uh, and so I remember that growing up. Um, and, and that yeah, was before I mean, you could have like a Game Boy or a phone yeah, or something. I mean, you just, you're just sitting like, there throwing rocks at a fence. Right. Well, because the school's not open. So it's like, I can't even go to the playground. <laughs> you're just standing there for like an hour um, and you're waiting for your can. friends to show up. But, Bring um, your own can for kick the can. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, and so, you know, I don't, I clearly wasn't all that, um, it, it didn't affect me that much. I can laugh about it now. Right. So, so, but I, I remember, you know, my dad certainly had some long commutes and, and sometimes, you know, he would come home after dinner or during dinner. My mom also uh, was in a you know top public relations firm, and you know she was a vice president. And for a while, when my brother was born, she was freelancing. But certainly, you know, when she went back, I remember you know sometimes we would have to go in. She'd have to get something done on the weekend, and you know this, this is in the days before laptops, so you're not doing a lot of work at home and coming home and doing that work. So she would go into the office, and I actually remember that was fun for me. Because, you know, you have this entire office that's empty and you can just kind of run around and make as much noise as you want and walk in and out of people's cubes. And um, so, you know, I mean, find, find the Tic Tacs in the top drawer. Right. Like, you know, people, I mean, it's a PR agency, it's a lot of creative. So there's all sorts of toys and, st- you know, just like random stuff around the office that was fun to play with. So, yeah, I mean, certainly remember my parents working a lot. But just like you, you know, I don't, I don't ever, I don't remember ever feeling like, I wanted to, not that I, that I was, I didn't have enough time with them. And I, I remember uh, one of my friends in college, one of my really good friends in college, her mom was a stay at home mom. And as we were getting to know each other, I remember one of the things that, that she asked me that always struck me. And she said, uh, you know, when she found out that my mom worked, she's like, do you ever feel like you missed out on something? And I, I guess that's like that whole, like, you don't really know what you're missing. Yeah, right. Because right? yeah. that's all I knew, but I never felt like I was missing, I mean, I, I guess maybe, yeah, I had to make my own snacks when I got home. Like, I feel like I certainly miss that. But otherwise, you know, you get home and there's homework to do. And it's, it's not like I'm interacting with anybody anyway. Um, and my, I had a brother and, you know, so, so uh, you know, I don't ever feel like there was something missing. And, 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 you know, just like you, my parents were at, you know, all the events. I mean, I was in chorus when I was younger and they showed up to all the concerts. And then I played hockey, ice hockey in high school, and they showed up to all the games, which, 
you know, for where we are, some sometimes the games are nuts. Like you have to drive, mm-hmm. it's like two hour commute just to get out to the game. And then there's some games where you go for the weekend. Like you have to leave, leave on a Saturday and you come back on Sunday because it's so far. It's, you know, like a four hour drive and you just do back to back. And so, you know, they were always there for all my games and my brothers too. Like that was, it was never a thing. It wasn't um, like, are you going to show up? It, I mean, if they weren't going to, I actually can't think of a time when they didn't show up, but that would have been like, why aren't you coming? You know, that would have mm-hmm, been more the mm-hmm. exception. Than the would have been unusual. Yeah. And so I certainly don't, and again, I guess this goes to the point that we were making earlier that while our parents worked hard, would they be considered workaholics as the definite of this article talks about? I certainly don't think so. Um, and, you know, but again, they were they were hardworking. I mean, so let, let's flash forward, you know, a few decades and, and in very broad strokes, like what's your current family situation? You know, are both of you guys working? Do you have grandparents to help out? Like, you know, how does that work with your kids? Both my wife and I work, and like I said earlier, I'm self-employed, so I tend to have a more flexible schedule and can, you know, do things like show up for, well, for pick up and drop off and show up for the games and things like that when my when my wife can't. She works with the distributed teams, that so she's got to be available during office hours. So, you know, from 8 in the morning till 5 or 6 at night, she's got to be, in these days, she's got to be at the desk and plugged into the, the Zoom calls uh, with her headphones on. And so she's, and she does work weekends, but again, I, I wouldn't think that she'd be, she'd be characterized as a workaholic. I think she has a demanding work schedule. And I think, well, I mean, in some ways she really enjoys it. I don't think that's workaholism either, but it is a, it's something that gives her a lot of satisfaction. When you're talking earlier, I wanted to tell this story about uh, some friends of ours who I saw pictures from their vacation. They had spent, I don't know, a week or two weeks uh, out in the wilderness. And there's a picture of, that the dad had taken and the mom is is fishing with the daughters in this you know beautiful mountain stream, and the mom has a has an uh, an airbud in, and and I asked him I said is your is your wife on a call, mm-hmm. and he said yes she's on an international <laughs> conference call in that picture, <laughs> while she's fishing with the with the daughters, uh-huh. and I don't think I don't think that's the kind of the workaholism I think that's somebody who's really stepping up and and uh, I mean that's like superstar. Mm-hmm. Mom, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe that's maybe that's part of the de, part of the delineation, you know. That is, she wasn't doing it to avoid being with the kids, but she was somehow, you know, in sort of a modern way, was blending it so she could be she could be present and still get her job done, you know, have some time on vacation. Mm-hmm. But we don't have uh, our grandparents are not really accessible, so it is just uh, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. We both work, but again, you know, I've got the luxury of adjusting my schedule so I can, uh, you know, pick up some of the the childcare responsibilities when uh, when my wife needs to work. Mm-hmm. On our end, similar to you, my wife is also self-employed and, and she is certainly in one of these sort of, you know, you, you eat what you kill kind of jobs and so you only get paid when you get work done. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, she, it's not uncommon for her to pull down, you know, a 12-hour day, you know, six, five days a week. And then depending on the seasonality, you know, she could be gone for 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday. So, you know, it just, it just kind of depends, but she's got a pretty crazy schedule and I have a nine to five where I can flex my time though. So I can flex to pick up the kids if I need to, or, you know, kind of, if I need to kind of pop out in the middle of the day, it's okay. I mean, I'd have to make it up at the back end, but I kind of have that flexibility. And then, you know, the other thing is I've got sort of three to four sort of side projects that eat up up a bunch of time. 
So we're both pretty strapped like you guys in, you know, in terms of, of free time. And certainly during COVID, we haven't seen the grandparents a lot. So my, my parents live about five minutes away. And you know, pre-COVID, we were there you know, on Friday nights for dinner. And then occasionally, you, know, you could drop the kids off for a play date at the grandparents. You get a few hours here and there. But that's all gone away. I mean, they haven't seen my parents really in, I mean, at this point, in about nine months. They, they haven't really interacted other than Zoom calls and things like that, but certainly not in person. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, since we're, we're talking about how the children factor into this and, and, and sort of our, our work schedules, there's, there's another article that I wanted to highlight that I think has been pretty interesting. And it's, it's titled, Want to Raise Happy, Emotionally Healthy Kids. Research shows how you spend time together matters more than the number of hours. And I'll put this in the show notes so you can actually both articles I'll put in the show notes. But the main takeaway on this article is exactly, you know, kind of what it says in the title is it's it's the quality, not the quantity in terms of how you spend your time with the children. And there was, I think, an especially important quote from one of the authors of this research. And he said, time and attention are not the same thing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? There's a big difference between physical presence and psychological presence. You can be spending time with people, but if you're not psychologically present, you're not doing anybody any good. And, you know, the article had a a bunch of recommendations and, and one of the things in particular was to schedule family time. And I think there are other ways to slip in family time into sort of the existing schedules that we have you know, despite how constricted our ability is in terms of free time. And and so I'm curious as to how you carve out time. Again, we, we know that you've got a crazy schedule. How do you sort of make time in your day to make sure that you're spending time with the kids? I think you make a good point, and the article makes a good point about the being psychologically present or, you know, the quality of the time, not mm-hmm. the quantity. And I think one of the things that's been a theme in our conversations is a sort of, um, I'll call it mindfulness, of just when when I'm with my girls, I really try to be present, and that's both for it's selfish and that I really want to enjoy the time and remember the time when they're young, and it's also obviously for them. And you know, I've seen parents that um, will be on their phone when they're around their kids and seeing it, you know, as I am. You know, I, I try not to mess around. Maybe I'm looking at a recipe, or you know, I got to text mom or something like that. But to see it from somebody else's eyes, to see the the, the kids don't get it. Mm-hmm. particularly the younger kids. They just know that mom or dad are is, are staring at the phone, you know, and whatever it is, the attention is not on the kids. And it's, in my opinion, I think more, kids more than anything, they just want their parents' undivided attention. Yeah. And so despite, you know, the time constraints, those times when we can be together, you know, I put the phone away, try to be present, and again, just try to be mindful. You know, the some of the the most mundane and routine things end up being quality time together. You know, we walk to and from, they're at a daycare a couple blocks from here. And uh, I walk them in the morning, most mornings, sometimes we're late, and then I you know, walk them back in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it's about a 20-minute walk. And mm-hmm. I've been doing it for years, uh, even before they had started school. And early on, there was this sense of urgency, like, you know, they've got little feet. It's taken a half an hour <laughs> to walk three blocks. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. we got things to do. Come on. <laughs> And uh, and I and I I caught myself early on and just realized like let's just let's just do this like right. let's you know you want to pick up that rock and you know you want to walk on that wall or mm-hmm. you know chase the squirrel whatever you know and so it'll take uh, it may take a little bit longer to get home but that ends up being 
part of the time that I spend with them during the day. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's kind of a shared activity. It's not really going to the playground, but we're just spending time together. Right. So in, in some ways it's similar with bedtime. And we got the bedtime routine. You got to get them in their pajamas, get the teeth brushed, and get into bed and read. And that's also... Frank, <laughs> frankly, some nights can be very frustrating, but if I can stay patient and stay present, then that becomes something that we do together, you know, and then sit down and read books. We try to read books, or, or I read books at least with one of the kids or, or both of them uh, every night, and that uh, that's quality time, you know, and that's, you know, we'll read uh, maybe a book of my choice. It's a, maybe a chapter book, like a Roald Dahl book, or one of the picture books that the younger one will pick out. And it's just, again, it's just mindful time. You know, I'm not trying to race through to get them to sleep so so I can go do my work, right? right? I'm going to try to be mindful. They're going to go to sleep eventually. And, you know, th- as it is with kids, the harder I push, probably the longer it's going to take, you know? <laughs> right. So it's just, it is what it is. You know, you can't push the stream. They're going to go to bed eventually, and then I'll, yeah. I'll get on with my work. So, so, I mean, I guess if I could say, if I could say anything, it's, you know, that's sort of when I am with them, even in the, the pedestrian sort of normal times, it just you know, I try to make the most of it, but we do have special events. We've got a Friday movie night where, uh, every week we will, we'll get takeout and, uh, put out a picnic blanket, let the girls eat and watch a movie in front of the TV. And it's something it's we try to do as a, as a family. Then Sundays we have family meeting and game night. We've got a dedicated thing where we go through a certain agenda and, you know, talk about the week and, and, um, do some compliments and appreciation and then do a family game night. And so that's, those are special because that's time when all four of us are present and dedicated, you know, mom, dad, and the, the two, and the, the two girls. Um, outside of that, you know, there's the time that I spend with the walking to and from and making meals or whatever with the girls. But we also, my wife and I try to make uh, special one-on-one time. And, and it's remarkable, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, if it's just one parent with one kid, 100% undivided attention, mm-hmm. that is like jet fuel. It's mm-hmm. just, it is the most potent, and the, the results are incredible. It, compared to early on in COVID, where you know I'm trying to get them done with the, the remote school, I've got them from sunup to sundown. I was with them all the time. That wasn't really quality time. You know, yeah. A lot of it wasn't quality time. Whereas this being present and being you know, distilled down to 10 minutes or 15 minutes of 100% undivided attention, that's just, you know, the uh, we, we say it like it fills up their bucket, right? There's mm-hmm. a, that book about it fills up their bucket, makes them feel good, and, and uh, you know, kind of really strengthens our relationship. Yeah, the I like the one-on-one time because I think that there's also a level of, how do I put this? You know, sometimes some kids are only willing to talk to one parent about a certain problem they're having. And so by having that one-on-one time, you can start to, you know, figure that out. So I'll give you an example. Just today, our daughter was kind of in a mood this morning and my wife tried to talk to her and the daughter wasn't having any of it. And so I just took her aside and we had a conversation. And so I, I kind of teased out what was wrong. And so, you know, kind of as parents, as we sort of carve out that one-on-one time, this is in reaction to, you know, obviously a, um, uh, an issue. But I think having that one-on-one time, the relationships between yourself and your daughters are different than the relationship that they have with their mom. Right. And so and to are, be able to going to continue to be more different too. Right. And, but, and so to have that one-on-one time allows, I think, everybody to explore that unique relationship that they have, whether it's that 
they feel more comfortable talking to you about X and more you know comfortable talking to your wife about Y. It allows for that to sort of happen naturally versus trying to force it and, and trying to tease it out of them. So I really like that, um, trying to do that. I, you know, when the kids were young, I always felt like I was going to have like a monthly play date. Like, okay, you know, this week you're going to go with your mom and you know, uh, this time I'll be with the daughter. And then next time, whatever, a month from now, like the boy goes with me. And, and the truth is, is that, uh, I think our schedules just never allow for that. And also certainly when I planned it in my mind, my wife's job wasn't what it is now. Mm -hmm. She's working like every weekend. And so it's not uncommon for me to have the kids from like eight in the morning on a Sunday, on a Saturday to like five or six at night. So Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work to, to carve out that time. But the kinds of things that we do, so, you know, similar to you, the bedtime routine, while it can be somewhat frustrating at times i think we've gotten into a system now where everybody mostly knows what's expected of them and it, and i've built in the fact that there's going to be some craziness and so i i add five minutes just for teeth brushing because i know you know there's going to be this whole like i don't want to go first i want my sister to go first and so i built that buffer in knowing that i want to read for a certain amount of time and one of the things that's been interesting so this has kind of happened over time in the last couple of weeks sort of naturally, but so what used to happen is I would read to both kids and they would both sit down and, you know, there the daughter would pick a set of stories and then her brother would pick a set of stories and everyone would sit there for the whole thing while I read. And sort of what's been happening recently is I'll read to my son. And I think part of it is because at this stage, my daughter has just sort of advanced beyond the types of books that my four-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, my seven-year-old daughter has gone beyond the four-year-old books that her brother wants. And so what has happened is as I'm reading to my son, my daughter will go find my wife and they'll go play a game, like a board mm-hmm. game or a card game for like 15 minutes. And then we'll switch off and then she'll come back. And then my son will go play the game, or a, a different game. And I'll read to our daughter. And so it's just kind of fun. Cause I, so I just got finished uh, doing a podcast, the last podcast about gaming. It's just a really important thing for me. And so to see that the kids are embracing that, but also I'm still being able to get in the reading time. And mm-hmm. I just, I kind of like it that, and especially because they're finding ways to carve out time with my wife, who is just has a much more rigorous or difficult schedule than I do. And so I like the fact that they're sort of creating these moments where they can have that time with her and they've sort of done it within our existing framework, our existing schedule. So that's been new. And I, I like that one. Some of the other things that, you know, now that the weather is getting better uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been doing a Saturday morning playground trip. And what I'm trying to do is take them to different playgrounds across the city. So it also allows us to explore the city a little bit and just to kind of get us all out. And, that's been fun and you know this so they're spending some time chasing them around and th- actually just um last week there is a playground in the city that there's like an airplane fuselage and so because of that the playground has been redone to look like an airport and so last week we went and we pretended we were flying to all different places <laughs> and you know i'd get on the airplane so i would check them in at the baggage area where I take their tickets and then I'd run over to the airplane and I'd get on the plane and welcome them onto the plane and show them to their seats and, you know, give them the in-flight uh, food. And then I'd, I'd have to fly the airplane too, apparently. 
Um, and then at the end, you know, thanks for flying, enjoy your trip, and, you know, enjoy your stay in Los Angeles and your trip to Disneyland or whatever. So it's just kind of a fun, especially because no one's traveling right now, or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, we're not traveling right now. But so that was, I think, just a fun way of interacting with the kids and uh, playing with them. So that, that's been nice. Um, you know, some of the other things, you know, again, in terms of keeping with the schedule, so we always eat as a family. I mean, again, there's some, there are some exceptions to that primarily with my wife, but I, at a minimum, there's always three of us. And then kind of depending on where my wife is, sometimes she might skip dinner with us, but that's pretty rare. Like that might be once a month, maybe. So generally we're all, you know, we all sit down to dinner together uh, on the weekends. We all sit down to lunch together. And even when they're done eating, they don't get to just up and leave. Like you have to stick around here for a little while longer there's no sort of set limit on that, but, you know, I won't let particularly the daughter who's like, oh, I want to go do something else. No, no, you got to you're sticking around here for a little while. And that's how I grew up, that all of our meals were together. <laughs> and I can't, I think I mentioned this in another podcast that, you know, my weekday dinners would last an hour, hour and a half. And then you got to clean up the kitchen and then go do homework, you know, when you're in high school. But that was just kind of how I grew up. And so we've done that here. And we mostly have a no phone rule at the table. Again, there are some exceptions based on my wife's work. Um, but I would say we're able to keep to that rule 95% of the time. So I think that's an important one because, I mean, that's a slippery slope. And and mm-hmm. so sometimes the, 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 the phones are not allowed in the, we, we kind of eat a breakfast nook because we're all very small. And that's, the, that's the space that we have. And so sometimes the, the phones are, physically removed from the breakfast nook so you can't like even if something rings you're like you can't go get it um actually we should probably have you heard of that game i guess it's uh primary i think it's millennials play it but they, everybody i don't know if they still do it but for a while i guess you put your phone in the table and like the first one to look at their phone has to pay the bill like oh, maybe we funny. should whoever Dude. picks up their phone has to do the dishes like maybe that's what we should do that's funny. To, to ensure that happens but you know i think generally speaking we're we're pretty good about making sure that those meal times are dedicated to interacting with one another. And then just like you, uh, I walk the kids to school. I mean, we have to drive, but you know, there's a curbside and I, I actually will park and then walk the kids in. Cause I, I cherish that time. It might only be five minutes, but it's five minutes that I, it, you know, there's nothing else happening right now. It's me and the kid and you know, it's it's still morning, so nobody's pissed off. They haven't had a bad day yet. They're still, <laughs> right? It's, it's still completely optimistic. I don't have to deal with any, like, this kid was mean to me kind of stuff. And so it's fun. And actually, generally, when I pick them up, too, it's, you know, that's it's the same situation. And how did the school go? Who did you play with? You know, what did you learn? All that kind of stuff. You know, it's just the, the sort of fun check-ins. And I think, you know, going back to your point about kids just want to know that you're there, I think part of it, too, is, you also want to show them that you're engaged in their life. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, some of how we do that is by asking questions to see what's going on and to let them know that we care. And and I think that in particular, that moment is is important to to let them know, like, oh, how was your day? And, and to just kind of be inquisitive. And the other thing is at this point, too, uh, my daughter in particular is still fairly responsive i mean i'm guessing in a couple right. of years she's gonna be like yeah. you know yeah i'm not uh, that was my day right <laughs> yeah it was okay which we used to get when she was younger right i don't know about your girls but like in pre-k three pre-k four first grade kindergarten how was your day 
eh, what'd you do? I, I don't know. You know, so now she can actually tell me what she's doing. We can have a conversation. Oh, how was math? What did you learn? You know, how did you learn it? Like there's actual genuine conversation and there's probably a window for that. And so I'm enjoying that time right now <laughs> while I can. So, yeah, I mean, those are those are some of the things we're doing. And, and I think just like you, right, I think it's important to schedule, especially when you have crazy schedules, to kind of fit them into your existing schedules. Just extend the drop off or, yeah, I mean, change your mentality about, OK, well, the walk is going to take an extra 10 minutes. But you know what? Like, whatever. It's it's 10 minutes of my day. It's no big deal. Like the the amount of engagement that you get back is worth more than the 10 minutes you mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm you know, that you could have been checking emails, right? Like, and, and I think that, you know, and some of the things that we've talked about in the past, right? These moments with our kids are so fleeting. They don't seem like it, but, you know, at the end of, you know, at the end of the year, you're going to look back and go, what happened? Mm-hmm. And, and so having those moments, at least that allows you to kind of live in the moment and maybe savor it a little bit. And so when you look back on that year, you'll at least kind of have that memory of like, oh yeah, there was that, that funny story that she told me when I was walking her to school or, you know, during the bedtime routine and, and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, I think similar with the with the kids and the, you know, quality versus quantity. Same could be said for us. You know, if we can make that, make those times have some really good quality to them, I think that's it's something we can do just selfishly. Well, we hope we gave you some new ideas on how to set aside time to spend with your kids. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papa fatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. Thanks for listening. <laughs>